Hi friends and welcome to Live Life Well, the podcast. Our mission is to empower millennials to thrive and not just survive so that they can live a life full of purpose, joy and delight. My name is Amy and I'll be sharing the life-giving practices and lessons I've learned on this journey of failing forward. We'll be talking about how to balance your career, business and passions while maintaining your physical, mental and spiritual health. I'm dedicated to sharing from a place of authenticity and I'm going to give you VIP access to my conversations with wise mentors and guests. My hope is that by the end of each of these episodes, you'll have something you can apply to your life so that you can live it well. I hope this also just feels like we're sitting across from each other in a cafe over a nice cup of coffee or your favorite beverage and having a chat like old friends. Thanks for stopping by and let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 13 of Live Life Well, the podcast. If you are in Victoria, we are almost on the other side of our stage four lockdown six weeks period. Who knows what will happen next, but I know at least on my end, I have probably gotten to the end of my, um, what would you call it? I wouldn't say it's my patience around stage four lockdowns, but yeah, kind of ready to get back out and uh, meeting with friends and family, hopefully soon, we don't know. In my area, actually, we had contaminated water in the last couple of days because of uh, storms that happened in our area. And so, yes, we were boiling water over the weekend, but we're all good. Everyone's still safe and sound. So still lots to be thankful for. In this episode, though, um, before we head into it, just wanted to do a bit of housekeeping um, and also let you know that we've actually hit over a thousand uh, listenings or a thousand plays um, across all different platforms of this of this particular podcast, which is really exciting. I'm very thankful for people who have you know, messaged me privately and, you know, given me some feedback on how they've enjoyed the podcast and what stood out for them. And please know that that is definitely an option for you. If you're interested in connecting, you can join us in our Live Life World, the podcast community group, which we'll put a link here in the show notes, but also in the last two weeks or so, we've actually started our Live Life Well Facebook business page. Um, So we would love you to go on there and join in because in the next, so this will actually be the last episode for the next month. Uh, We're going to revisit some of our old episodes in the Live Life Well podcast group, um, as well as on our Live Life Well podcast, the podcast uh, page on Facebook. So join us over there. We are, of course, available on Instagram as well. And um, yeah, just on, I guess on my end, like I've just been trying to navigate, I guess, like all the different platforms. And as you would know, if you've been listening for a while, I also work as a lawyer, which is my role has actually become increasingly demanding and feeling like often weekends are just not um, as conducive for, you know, passion projects as as much as they used to be. So I'm just trying to work out the balance really, but 
at the same time, like this is definitely a space that we want to grow in and we're going to just take the next month off to be resting, but also creating some content, um, hopefully to set us up for the rest of the year. Um, and we've got some new um, initiatives that you'll be seeing very soon, I'm sure. Uh, and if you are, again, listening to this in real time, you would probably know that we had to reschedule our uh, post-podcast party chat with Natasha, who was on episode 12. And she is actually going to be chatting with us now this coming Friday on the 4th of September. I can't believe we're in September already, but uh, that's besides the point. Anyway, so if you're wanting to get in on that chat and actually join us live, uh, that will be happening in the podcast community group at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Australian Eastern Standard Time. So we'd love to have you there. Now, that's all the housekeeping. Um, I am delighted to bring you this particular interview that is coming up next. So this is part of our social justice stream. And I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on this podcast, but I uh, started doing some social media work and marketing work for an organization called For Dignity. And it is an online boutique that sells a whole range of ethical and sustainable products, homewares, gifts, those kind of things. And it's been a huge privilege to be able to have... Um, chats with the founder, Heather Rayside, and also um, be able to connect with the different brands that they have um, and pro producers that they have as part of their online boutique. So it's with, um, yeah, I was very privileged to talk to the founder of um, an organization called Basha Boutique, which you'll find out more information about it shortly in this interview. Um, but yeah, it's just amazing what um, people are doing out there to bring the end to human slavery. And I think we all have a part. If you've heard, you know, our last episode on um, human trafficking and kind of bringing awareness around that particular industry and issue, um, you will see the connection and um, we just hope that this will not only bring awareness to what's happening out there, but also show you um, a voice that is for the women who have survived human trafficking and also, um, also uh, I guess, just giving them a platform to be able to share their story. So um, just a FYI, this interview was actually shared on the For Dignity uh, website and on their YouTube channel. So if you're interested in getting some more information about For Dignity, please go to the link in the show notes. And um, this is the audio, I guess, recording of the interview that I had. And on the For Dignity blog page, um, you'll actually see the video um, of us doing the interview, which will also include pictures and um, other information from Basha as well. So I do hope you enjoy this and you won't hear from me at the end of the episode. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Please join us in the other different ways we can connect outside of this episode. And I will see you guys in a month. We'd love to hear your feedback on this and please share it with a friend 
and family member or colleague. And that is all from me. Enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to A Voice for Dignity, shining a light on stories of courage, resilience, and impact for dignity. Today, we have with us Robin Seifert, who is originally from Oregon in the US, but she has been in Bangladesh for just on 14 years. She is the founder of Basha, an organization that brings dignity to women through the work that they do. And it was founded on the 2nd of May, 2011. Through dignified work, Basha provides a sustainable livelihood for women at risk or survivors of trafficking in Bangladesh. The marginalized lives of women in Bangladesh are often quite difficult, particularly for those who carry the stigma of being trafficked. And through Basha, these women gain jobs and entrepreneurial skills in a healthy and supportive environment. We hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome, Robin. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being with us. <laughs> yeah, it's great to meet you. And yeah, we're so glad that you could come and join us and have a chat. Um, and so firstly, um, the fun fact that we wanted to share as well that you, shot, that you shared <laughs> with us is that Robin is a lover of cat rescuing and coffee. I do like the coffee side of things as well. And you might see cats. So, uh, forewarning, there might be cats oh, they crossing might, there at they some They might point. have an appearance. <laughs> they might make an appearance. Oh, well, how, how long have you had the cats that you currently have at the moment? Um, yeah, they're I, around two, 2012, I guess, I started rescuing oh, okay. cats. Oh. <laughs> around when near when Basha started actually oh okay well that's lovely that they've been there from the beginning <laughs> um, so what's actually your favorite product from the um from Basha's collection and why oh I don't know if I can say a favorite but the one I have right behind me and this was not planted it's just <laughs> it's really there all the time yeah. um this is a chunky knit blanket and it, um, our, our original project is called Kanta, which is a quilt type product made of um, recycled saris that are layered and then quilted. And I mean, I love those and I have different styles all over my house. But um, then we needed something that was a little easier for people who um, were struggling more. They weren't able to focus on something that small. And so um, we also noticed that Chunky Knit was in style, a chunky knitting product. And so we developed this not only because it seemed like a trend, but also mm. because it allowed us to create more jobs for people who couldn't do our are more typical products. So yeah, so this one's one of my favorites for that reason. Oh, that's amazing. That's, yeah, I think that's such a um, clever way of trying to, you know, make sure that you can still utilize the skills of people even though they can't do the finer details. So that's wonderful. Mm. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about the story behind Basha and how it started and what was, what motivated you to um, take it to, from an idea to where where it is today. Yeah, so I originally came, um, my background's public health, and so I originally came to Bangladesh in 2006 um, to to work with an NGO called Mennonite Central Committee to develop um, their HIV awareness programs. And it really was more reproductive health, like comprehensive reproductive health. And we were doing a peer educator 
program throughout Bangladesh. And then someone said, can you start working with these women, especially aging out of prostitution? Mm. And they had so much stigma, they didn't have any skills, and they didn't have any way to support themselves aside from selling other girls. And so we said, okay, we'll do that. And so we started a training program for women who wanted to come out of prostitution. And that mm. just introduced me to the prog problem that women have this stigma they're deeply ashamed they don't want to be doing it they didn't choose it mm -hmm. they don't feel like they have any options mm -hmm. so we started a training program within that ngo and and again just saw they were desperate for a new opportunity but then we also saw that beyond the training program they needed ongoing sustainable employment and um, so uh, there was another similar program that was working with the, with women as well. And without employment, they just really weren't able to move on. They they weren't able. I mean, Bangladesh work, workforce can be exploitative anyway. And many of them had been trafficked out of like garment factories and things. And so, um, yeah, we just saw for their healing and for their wholeness, they they need a sustainable job as well. So. I started Basha and with no business experience, I just mm. uh, spent four months like researching and reading um, everything I could about business and, and yeah, started, started Basha. Wow. Oh, and there's the cat. <laughs> What's the name of that one? Uh, Stan Stanley Ann due to an, an initial, um, Miss gender. Oh, <laughs> Missing sorry. the gender. So Stanley Ann. Uh, right. <laughs> sorry. Well, no, 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 no. Don't apologize. Um, so uh, for people who don't know the name behind Basha or what Basha means, like, can you explain a little bit about that for us? Yeah, so in Bangladesh, in Bangla, the language here, um, Basha means house, but Asha means hope. So the concept was that it's a house of hope um, where people can come for healing and Fantastic. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And so for the day-to-day -day kind of um, experiences of the people that you work with, like how would you describe it for say um, an Australian audience or American audience who wouldn't have any framework? Like what does it look like for these women or the survivors that you work with? Yeah, I mean, we, we're a business and we try to keep that mindset like that we are a business and we try to be as professional as possible. So we, um, they come in the morning and have a little gathering to start the day and then they, they sew, they have a like morning tea break and a lunch break. They bring their children. That would be different than maybe some of the other businesses in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. um, there's, they're by law, they're supposed to have daycare, but they most places don't um, or at least don't have a, a strong one so they bring their children and their children are on the premises with them and we find that's really important to them that they are able they know where their kids are they know that their kids are safe and we're supporting their children's education mm. um, the mothers and children eat lunch together so that's kind of a big chaotic time during the middle of the day. Yeah. Um, and then they finish, um, we start at 8.30 and we finish at five, which again would be different than some of the businesses, the, like uh, the industrial businesses around us where they would typically work 12 hour days um, and always do overtime. And so you mentioned before as well at the start that um, when Basha started, it was really because um, you were trying to um, create, 
employment opportunities for these women because Mm -hmm. 80% um, of trafficked people without employment will then go back and get Mm re-trafficked. So um, have you been able to see like how um, the difference from like once people have like something that they can actually do, like what's the, um, what's the chances of them, them going back into being re-trafficked like once they have some employment? So we typically, um, so we have some partner organizations and then we also have our own nonprofit organization called Friends of Basha. And so the women go through six months or to a year of training before they actually are employed in a more professional setting. So um, I would say re-trafficking would be more common from the training program and that does happen. I, I I can't say a number because it's really hard to know where they go. Sometimes you don't know. And sometimes they're fine. And sometimes they just go to the village. So it, so it's really hard to say. But um, once they are employed, I do not know very many who have gone back into, into prostitution. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know, I know of one who definitely did. Um, and that's, that's the only... That's the only one. So it could be higher. It could be low. We do have a lot of turnover. They do go on to different things. But I think once they have that, you know, they've been empowered, they've known they have options, they came mm. out of it. Yeah. They have a stronger support ne- network. They've um, reestablished relationships with their family. So I think their, their vulnerability is much less once they have actually made it and had some time in employment. Mm. And and finally be given an opportunity to have a choice like they mm. you mentioned at the start, like, you know, often they go, they are in that industry, you could say sex industry or whatever, because they don't have a choice. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they really, they really um, receive that sense of such deep shame that they feel like they, they're bad um, and, and that's what they're called here. They're called bad women here. And so they really internalize that. And so to think like I could come out, I could do something different. That's a huge step. And to get them to believe, no, you can do something else. You can come yeah. out. It's amazing. <laughs> and how big is your team now? Like what, what does it consist of like, in terms of the, the, art, the artisans, but also like you mentioned people who would cook and, and do other things yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually have five, five different production centers. So our headquarters is in Dhaka and in Dhaka, we also have an admin team and uh, the nonprofit team. Um, so uh, maybe 12 of us in admin and then um, the production, five production units, and they're in different areas that have different trafficking issues. Mm. For example, in Dhaka, we, we are near a, a religious shrine where there's lots of trafficking um, through, that, through that place. And um, in Tongao, there's a big brothel. So we have a center there in Moimensing. There's a brothel and a lot of street-based prostitution. And then in Just Shore, it's near the border of India. So people are um, it's, it's just where women are targeted for trafficking and also people who have been trafficked are returning to that area. So, um, yeah, so I think we have around 200 people altogether, including artisans, around 120 artisans, around 80 staff, including like daycare and nonprofit activities. And then 
Um, we have almost as many children as oh, wow. artisans. So we have like 120 children as well. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. we're really a hybrid of <laughs> activities. Yeah. And there's, um, there would be education for the children or is it just more like daycare or no we well we use the we use the local schools and so but support them in there so it's a big challenge right now because the school's closed um, yeah and then yeah. some of the children you know some of the women find it really hard to parent like their family situation's unsafe so we also sponsor some children to be in boarding schools oh wow um, okay so yeah maybe 10 to 15 they're normally in boarding school mm, yeah that's amazing. Like I was, one of my questions was how has your organization impacted the lives? But I think you've just told me right there. <laughs> there, and there. So that's so amazing that it's not just the women themselves, but it's a generational thing that you're trying to help the children also move forward. Well, outside of exactly. Life. Like as we were starting, it's like, I'm not doing this. I'm not employing this woman and then turning around and having to employ her child 10, 15, 20 years later. I want to break this cycle now and um see her children prosper and flourish mm. so are there any like good news stories about your involvement with your organization that you could share with us um whether it's from the um the worker side or from the child side as well i mean there's a lot i mean i think because i you know i have a long social more social work type background and before you'd always have to like try to come up with a good new story and they're so yeah. rare but now it's the opposite it's like there's so many to choose from um and and you know it kind of depends on where the woman started as where she as where she is now so one of the women who first um started working for us um there's a video of her and she was really unkempt and dirty and and she had two daughters at the time and now she has three, but she was saying like, it's too late for me, just help my daughters. And she was like, you know, her early twenties at the time. So wow. just heartbreaking to hear someone who just had no hope at that young age. And now she's actually one of our um, production mentors, we call it. So wow. she's supervising production. And if you saw her, you'd never guess. I mean, she's professional and she's competent and she's, parenting her children well and they're they're doing really well in school even one of them had the few learning disabled disabilities and she's doing really well in school as well and so this complete transformation of that family and then other ones their journeys start at a different place um, there's a few that have mental illness and it's kind of you know, it started out like, let's just keep their children alive. <laughs> like, yeah. let's just keep these people alive. <laughs> and, but, you know, they're, they're not going up as high, but their children are alive and their children are doing well in school and, um, and they're still able to earn a living. That's wonderful. Like those, um, I think, those are the kind of stories that we want to hear and want to give a voice to, because like, mm. there's a lot of, um, you, you can see the brand, but I think like hearing those stories is what brings it alive. And just to hear, I guess, the impact that Bash is making is just incredible. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and with, we kind of met, touched on it a little bit, like with schools closed during COVID season and all the upheaval and challenges, what, what's actually been happening on the ground for you and how has this pandemic actually affected Basha? We we were locked down for two months and I was in a panic and I was um, 
Oh, well, even in the weeks before the lockdown happened, it was like, we cannot, I mean, we live, we live month to month already. <laughs> like we cannot, we cannot last like two months max. And so it was like, well, maybe this is the end and um, maybe we won't make it. And just trying to have peace with that, like, okay, <laughs> we'll see what happens. And it, it was really amazing um, that uh, the admin, we were, a lot of us were able to do quite a bit at home. And then, um, and then the, the producers were able to do quite a bit at home. And so we kept up with orders. So we had one month where we didn't have any sales, which we're still feeling the effects of now. Mm. Um, but as soon as the, well, the customs offices were closed. So that, delayed things a bit but but we were able to um yeah we're we're able to continue working even while people were working at home mm -hmm. and surprisingly people were still ordering so we and we still have orders now so um maybe maybe a bit lower but um we're we're still here <laughs> and it's and it's now been four months so um mm -hmm. um now, I mean, Bangladesh is 162 million people in the space of, well, I'm used to saying in America and Iowa, but a very yeah. small space. And so, like, social distancing is just absurd. Mm. And, and that was my big concern during distancing. It's like our artisans are in these very crowded houses. They're sharing a bathroom with 20 people already. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not social distancing. And at the same time, you know, domestic violence and child abuse and, you know, the boarding school kids who come from difficult families already are home. So, so it was more worrisome to me to be in lockdown than it is now. Mm. Um, luckily, most of our artisans are, um, don't have the health factors that make COVID an extra risk. And yeah. most of our staff, most of our team is younger. So um, we've had a few people, we've had people be get sick, um, but so far, everyone's recovered, and mm. oh, that's 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 good news <laughs> for sure. <laughs> in the midst of this, and we've lost some suppliers. Like we've lost um, our sari supplier, and uh, um, um, who else? Somebody else. Um, so, so definitely, it's hitting Bangladesh, and it's it's hitting Bangladesh hard. But um, mm. yeah. through our nonprofit, we've been able to do some relief um in so in right before the lockdown so late march they locked down the brothels and so um they weren't able to earn and they also didn't have food so um we've had amazing response with people donating money we've spent about twenty thousand dollars on relief for these for these people that have not been able to earn during this time mm, yeah uh, well, that was actually one of the questions I was thinking about just then was, um, yeah, how do the women find out about Basha? But is it just generally through word of mouth and actually just engaging with them or? Yeah, I mean, it's mostly been actually through partner organizations. Um, so, yeah, the, the partner organization goes into the community and works with certain populations. So um, in in Dhaka, it's the group that was working, doing outreach into that religious shrine where the trafficking and um, 
things happen. Um, in Jashore, it's more legal organizations that are repatriating women from abroad, or um, there's another program run by Salvation Army that um, works with the women in the brothel, and um, there's organizations that help them come out. So yeah, different referrals from different organizations. Mm. And how did it, um, well, I think this is almost going back to the his, historical side, but like how did you build rapport kind of in that community and like um, even become, I guess, a trusted source of like being able to help others? I mean, you're not at first. And so, and that was one thing with one of our centers, which is in Tongail, and we had a partnership, but maybe not wasn't as strong as we thought it was going to be. And and so, yeah, there were some women that we invited to the training program, and they were scared we were traffickers, which you know they should. Like, how do you know? And so, I think initially it takes some time to get going, but then once once you have women who are working there, once you have you know they know people, and and they they're inviting people themselves, and so. Um, once you have that, then, um, yeah, you have that legitimacy, I guess. Mm. Thank you again for your time. Um, just before we finish our interview, uh, what would be your advice about like what we can do to help increase the impact that you and Basha are currently making? Um, and how can people, I guess, continue to stay in contact with you? Or obviously people can buy through the For Dignity um, shop. Um, but yeah. if there's other things that other resources you could point us to as well. Yeah, so um, we have um, social media for Basha, Basha Boutique, it's called, and Friends of Basha. And and we have, we put more of the stories. Um, so if you want to connect with an artisan or if you buy a blanket from For Dignity, it probably has a tag with an artisan's mm -hmm. name. So you can actually take a photo of it and tag us and we can show the artisan. And so we love being able to do that. Like someone just did that last week and we're able to show her like, look where your blanket is. And she's wow. like, oh, I never thought it would be so beautiful. I mean, yeah. to them, lots of our products are very normal and it's something Bangladeshis use. So they can't believe mm -hmm. that people around the world love their products. So, yeah. um, so we love when that happens. Yeah. Um, so yeah, follow us. And the best way to help is really just purchasing I mean that's that's what we are we're business and we think dignity comes through employment and employment is I because I have more social work background I think mm -hmm. I I never stop being shocked at how powerful employment is I mean it gives dignity it gives hope it gives the next generation a future I mean it does so much so the best thing to do is to buy, buy the products of our talented artisans. Thank you so much. And I am definitely, I've, I have definitely eyed a few of them myself. So <laughs> I will be there to see one myself very, very soon. So thank you again, Robin. Is there anything else you want?